It's 11.13, and I have decided that I hope I'm hearing from the Lord, <laughs> um, but that I'm going to do something I've not done before, which is to, to basically scrap the message that was going to be preached today because of not just time, but because of a sense that I have that maybe the Lord would have us go in a different place. And so um, I'm going to basically extend uh, what we were talking about last week a little bit I think it dovetails already with a lot of what God's been doing this morning. And um, and it was something that was on my heart this week, and I decided to go in a different way in preparation for the message, but it never kind of got off my mind. So today this kind of made me feel like, well, the confluence of time crunch and those words we heard today as I prayed, with your help praying, I, I, I'm going to take a step of faith and, and trust the Lord that, that he would be in this word this morning as well. And if you guys remember two weeks ago when um, I last preached, I preached on Hebrews four fourteen through 16, the throne of grace and mercy. And that's the throne of God in the very heavenly places where God sits. And that's the place where we were never allowed to come until Christ came and tore the curtain that separates man and God. And now not only are we allowed to come, we're commanded to come in our spirits in spiritual heavenly places, we're commanded to come to God's throne to find grace and mercy. We're commanded to come into the holiest, most perfect place there is in the universe. And we sang a song about it last week called Where Angels Fear to Tread. The idea from Isaiah 6 is that even angels cover their eyes and they cover their feet as they fly around the throne. They just sing, holy, holy, holy. And this is the place where sin could not be and, and rebels are burned up. But because of Jesus Christ, our sin's been taken care of. And because of Jesus Christ, we're invited to come before that throne any time that we need to for grace and mercy. And we're not just invited, we're commanded. We're commanded because we have to come to that throne, because we have to have grace and mercy. And we're commanded to come with boldness. Not wondering if he's accepting us, not wondering if we should come, but because of who Jesus is and the authority that he has to say, you're invited. The authority he has to say, nothing can keep you from my father's presence because I've covered all of your sins, past, present, and future. Glorify me. Declare how worthy I am by coming with confidence. Not confidence in your perfection, in yourselves. Not confidence in your worth, in yourselves, but confidence in his worth. But that he has paid your way overwhelmingly to come before God and to receive grace and mercy from God, all because of Jesus. That every moment of every day you are invited, when you ever feel that you have a need, to come with boldness before God. We talked about how every day we'll, we'll feel like there's all kinds of reasons why we can't come. Sin's too great, I'm too yucky. God doesn't like me. This problem's too big. There's no way I could imagine getting the kind of grace I need for the kind of problem I have. We'll hear those voices all day long as we try to follow Jesus Christ. And God says, garbage. He says, garbage to that. Whatever it is you're facing, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is greater. And he has made a way for you to come and ask you for the help, the grace and mercy that you need. And man, when I preached that message, I was on cloud nine. And, and the whole next week I was affected by it. And then we, we sang about it last Sunday. And Ken did a great message on Ephesians 2 and, and the bridge builder that Jesus is. 
continuing kind of that theme that he's made a way for us as he talked about the need that the, the call that God has for us to make a way for each other in each other's lives. And I was on cloud nine. I mean, I had one of the best Sundays I've had in years, I feel like, last Sunday. And then some stuff happened this week. And it just went... <laughs> I mean, I felt like I took a deeper dive than I have in a long time. And I began to recognize that what had hit me had functionally, I mean, I wouldn't articulate it this way, but the struggles I was having, the pain I was experiencing emotionally, the discouragement I was experiencing had functionally convinced me again. I mean, I wouldn't have said it, but that that God wasn't worth coming to, that he wasn't worth running to, that he couldn't handle this, that the problems were too big. Oh my goodness, did they say their problems are too big. (sighs) So big, so big problems in our church. Problems in relationships, so big. Problems as I look back at my own track record of faithfulness to God and faithfulness to people, so big. Can't come. I mean, that's, that's again, not what I've, I would have explicitly said, that's what's going on in my head. But that's exactly what I was being led to believe again. And I had nowhere else to go, you know, but, but as I got in God's word, because I had to preach... <laughs> My job demanded it. I started to look at God's truth again. I started to see who he was again. And the more I looked at him again, the more I realized these other thoughts are garbage. They're garbage. And of course, I'm not going to preach <laughs> the word he had me, but it, I was just looking at him, you know. I had a conversation with a dear sister this week. She's so discouraged, and she was so gracious and humble to explain her discouragement. And even in tears on the phone. And she was, you know, we were talking about coping mechanisms. Like, what do you do when you're so discouraged? And, and all I could think t- to say to her, and I, I, don't, I, I don't think I really said it because I just felt like that phone call was a time just to listen and let her, let her unload and let her vent. You know, it wasn't a time to teach, mostly. But as she talked, all I could think about was, oh, man. There's no coping mechanism that you can start with. It starts with just looking at Jesus again. It starts with just considering our high priest again. It starts with what John said. Look at Jesus. Consider what he faced and what he got through for you. And then, therefore, what he's able to give to you because of that. It starts with what Jake preached on this morning at communion. No matter how hard and scary it was for Jesus, he pushed through. And he's not just a model, so therefore you gut up and push through. No, 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 no. Therefore, he's able to give you that same power that you don't have, that you absolutely don't have to push through. And so, slowly, I kind of got off the floor <laughs> last night, started to convince myself, then I come in here and I worship. I'm looking at Jesus, I'm thinking about Jesus, I'm hearing about Jesus. And I get back off the mat, you know. And, and I know for, for all of us, we know that. But we need to be encouraged and reminded again and again and again of how we're lied to. That he's not enough. That we can't do it. Those are lies. Because he is enough. And because he is enough, we can do it. So really, what I want to kind of elaborate on a little bit from last week is, is, is this issue of, of why we have to go and to the throne and it's kind of what I just talked about. Because we're going to suffer. 
Because, because as Paul says in Philippians 1.29, it has been given to you. It has been granted to you. Church family, you get a special gift from God. Let me tell you what the special gift from God is. It has been granted gratis grace, free gift from God. For the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. No, 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 no. There's more. Remember those TV shows? You know, the, the like the Ronco blender. It's like it has three parts and you you put the bass right here and you put your ice cream right here and you have a delicious bass shake. And then um, that was an old Senate live skit. What was it? Anybody remember that? Bassomatic, right? And then Dan Ackward would go, but wait, there's more, you know, and he, so it's, it's Paul's like, not only do you get to believe in Christ Jesus, but there's more for 1999. Guess what else you get? You get to suffer for his sake. Guaranteed. No question. No problems. Guaranteed, you get to suffer. Well, what did you do? What's God disciplining you for? I don't know. It doesn't matter really. I mean, there can be things that he's trying to train you on. But you can be the most godliest Jim Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot type Christian. And it's granted to you. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. He's decided that that is the way that he is going to show himself to you and the way that he is going to show his power to you and he's going to show his power through you is through your suffering. I was writing about processing through Blessing Point and what we're doing. And just to let you guys know, I'm excited about Blessing Point. There are questions I have, like some of you guys have. The more I'm getting to know the ministry, you know, so I'm looking at different aspects of it and I want you to know that, you know, I'm trying to have my hand on the wheel, you know, as, as one of your elders and as a pastor here, theologically, I'm looking at different things and I'm asking questions. I'm not sure I agree with everything. So I'm, I'm going to be trying to eat the meat throughout the bones of this thing. But one of the things that as I've processed through what we're going to go through in, in trying to look at our history and trying to find out what's caused certain pains is there's got to be a category that just says not all discipline is because of your sin. Some discipline is because of your sin. And God is trying to get your attention and call you to repent. And that's true for all of us at different seasons. It's certainly true for me. But other times, discipline, which in Greek just means training, gymnasio, gym, training is training because you need to be like Jesus was, perfected through suffering. You need to go through things in life that sometimes aren't related to awful things you've done that God is letting you reap what you're sowing for. But just because God is going to use suffering in your lives because it's a gift for you. And he's promised to give it to you. To not spare you the suffering through which he will reveal himself to you. And through which you will bring glory to him. When people look at your life like Amanda's. And they say, how in the world does she get by? Five boys, a husband who's hit the road and left her alone. And she is just holding on to Jesus Christ. Week after week, month after month. And in many seasons, 
You know, Amanda's not perfect, and I want to put burden on you to be Miss Perfect. But many seasons, we've all watched, and we've all said, holy goodness. Amanda's walk with the Lord is, in all the suffering she's going through, is way better than mine with all the suffering I'm not going through. And we've had to step back and not glorify Amanda, but we've had to glorify Jesus Christ and say, he's incredible what he's able to sustain a person through. But other times, it's suffering that it looks harder emotionally, depression, Year after year for some of you guys. Depression. And, and I'll meet with you and talk with you. And it's just there. It's been there for years and years and years. And you're sad all the time. And you struggle all the time. You're not always rejoicing. But there you are. Week after week. Month after month. Looking again and again to Jesus. Asking again and again for help from Jesus. Through your friends. And people around you are saying, how in the world are you doing this? Through all this depression year after year, you're not giving up on Jesus Christ. You're not giving up on your faith when so many do and run to alcohol or drugs or escape or whatever. There you are. Because God has decided that you are going to suffer on his behalf and he is going to glorify himself through your life. In sustaining you in ways that are obviously not from you. So that his power would be made known in that weakness. You know, we can tend to think that we get times of suffering. And we get times of resurrection power where we overcome. And we can compartmentalize them. But in the Bible, they're together. They're like one and the same. It's like... You see again and again how Paul will say, Hey, every day I carry around in my body the death of Christ Jesus. And he says, So that every day the life of Christ Jesus might be evidenced in me. Every day I walk around barely hanging on, getting pummeled, getting beaten. Why is God allowing me to do this? What did I do to him? No, God says, Paul, is so that every day the life of Christ Jesus as you hold on will be made evident to you. And I think for myself, I don't know about you, but I've realized through this protracted season of suffering, you know, through our church as a pastor and different relational issues, and that I think I have really not seen the way I am right now, the decree that God has over my life and over your life, that I will suffer and that you will suffer. And yes, there are things in my life that God is trying to rebuke me for and get my attention of, but that's not the biggest story. The biggest story is that he's my dad and he's your dad and suffering is just one of the ways and perhaps the central way that he reveals himself to you, that he shapes you and conforms you to the image of his son so that he can be glorified in you and you can glorify him as he rescues you again and again in your suffering. Do you ever think about one of the most amazing things in scripture is is how we look at a guy like Paul and, you know, we sit back and we know the stories and we think of him as, as one of the most amazing, unbelievable, steadfast, like special forces Christians. You know, like Paul is just like, he's like master Jedi of Christians. You know, like Luke was supposed to be like the greatest Jedi. And when he walked out in this last movie to face all those can I, can I just do some spoiler stuff? 
he walked out to face all those um, walkers, those big, huge walkers, and they had these laser guns. And he's just like walking out. And there's these like 800-foot attacks, these, these giant uh, robotic walkers, and they've got gigantic laser guns. And they just start going boom, 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 boom. Like eight of them are firing on Luke Skywalker, one guy. And he's just like, Blowing up everywhere, all the smoke, all the debris, all the explosions, everything is just, just crazy. And then it, and you can't see him anymore. You're just thinking, well, I'm being led to believe that, that like they destroyed him. And then the smoke clears and he's had like for five minutes, he's had 8,000 laser beams shot at him and the smoke clears and he's just standing there. He just goes like this, you know, and it was just like the, that was the best freaking moment in that whole movie for me it was the best moment i've had in movies for like a decade i was like yeah like i knew and that's that's what i think of paul i think that paul must be like that guy you know but if you spend time i mean that's kind of where i default towards him as i read his own words most of the time boldly proclaiming jesus but that's not really paul's whole experience Paul's whole experience was a lot more like our experience, I think, than we understand. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says that he went through something so hard that he despaired of life. That he felt the sentence of death upon him. He despaired of life and he felt the sentence of death upon him. That was Christian Paul. That was resurrected in his spirit, Paul. That was, I saw the risen Lord in a vision, Paul. That wasn't Pharisee Paul being convicted of his sins. There's nothing about his sins mentioned in that passage. There's nothing about God disciplining him for something he had done wrong in that passage. It just says, this happened so that I would learn not to put my hope in men. In people, in myself. This happened so that I would not put my hope in myself, but put my hope in God who raises from the dead. He stripped away everything I could put my hope in. He pulled everything off me that I could rely on. And he didn't instantly show me that he's the deliverer. No, no, he let me wallow in that. He let me taste that hopelessness. He let me wait in a place of deep sorrow and pain and not just deep sorrow and pain. I don't know, but it could be that Paul was suicidal for a time. I despaired even of life. I don't know that he was. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that was a dreadful place he was in. Dreadful. And we don't know how long. But God did that to Paul as a gift. That was his gift to Paul. So that Paul would, on the other side of it, begin to say, my hope is not in anything else but Jesus who raises the dead. I don't even even have to have hope for this present life. God's even kicked that out from under me. Paul might have been thinking, someday I'll be able to rest on an island. Maybe go to Patmos with John. Find a beautiful woman and be able to spend at least a few years married and 
enjoying some peace, God kicked that out from under him. He said, Paul, all I'm going to allow you to hope on right now is I can raise you from the dead. But that was a gift to Paul. And it was transformative for him. And he found comfort in it. And when he learned that comfort, he was able to pour that onto other people. And say from his own experience, I know the God who takes me through horrible things. And I know the God who brings me out of horrible things. And who teaches me as his son rich things I would never want to unlearn. It's not that I'm asking for suffering. But I would never want to give back and trade in what he's taught me about himself. If, if, if not going through that suffering means that I'd have to give up on knowing Christ Jesus and seeing who he is, I wouldn't trade it. I know many of you can say the exact same thing. Paul said in Philippians 4, Whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. There's a lot of good things in there for Paul that he lost. Home, wife, don't know if he ever had one, but the, probably the hope of it. He counted everything as rubbish. In comparison, it wasn't rubbish in itself, but in comparison. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having a righteousness not of my own that comes from the law, comes from obedience and my own perfections, no, that comes through faith in Christ, the perfect one. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And listen, that I may know him. And listen, that I may know him how? The power of of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. There it is. The package deal. How does Paul know the power of his resurrection? How does he experience the eternal grace and might of Christ Jesus? He experiences it by sharing in Christ's suffering, becoming like him in his death. We don't have to ask for suffering. It's been given to us. So don't understand me as saying, go out and find that suffering. Go put some nails in your shoulder and wear a hair shirt like old Catholics used to do. They used to have these shirts that were like made of very bristly, painful hair and they would put it on underneath their garments so they could suffer. And nobody would know because Jesus says you don't want people to know that you're suffering. But it's what they used to do. I think it was, it was in medieval times. They would wear a hair shirt and they would just be in pain all day. No. God's not asking you to do that. He says sufferings will be given to you. He'll give them to you in his time, in his way. But it'll be in those sufferings as you keep clinging to him and keep running to him that you'll begin to get to know him better. And you'll get to know his power better. And you'll get to be closer to his friendship. He'll share his sufferings with you. Because you're his friend. And friends in intimacy, they share stuff. And he'll share his own sufferings. I don't mean they'll be atoning. 
but I mean that you will, you will experience things that Jesus experienced. You will experience, and all of us, especially all of us who are parents, have experienced this, but most of us have all, if not everyone in this room, has experienced, in, in part, things that Jesus experienced. You'll be betrayed by friends. You'll be betrayed by your kids. You'll be falsely accused by friends. You'll be falsely accused by your spouse. You'll be abandoned at times and left alone. And Jesus will be one of the only ones you'll know who's, who can really, really relate. And you'll say, God, this hurts so bad. This hurts so bad. And Jesus will say to you, I know. I went through it. And not to like compare, but so you know that I can relate. I went through it much worse than you. Much worse than you. You just feel condemned by God. But you're not. I was condemned. You just feel hopeless. I was made to be hopelessness. You just feel like you're covered in shame for what you've done. And there's no, there's no hope for you to get clean. I was covered in shame. The shame you feel, I'm still your righteousness. You might have to do some confessing to get, to get clean with me in, in terms of our hanging out closer and, and our fellowship, but our relationship isn't changed. I'm still your brother. My father's still your father. I know what it is to feel these things. And I've tasted a little bit of that, like more than I have in this last season where I've been able to relate in ways that I just think, who can relate to this? And I realize, oh my gosh, Jesus can relate to this. He can relate to this. Like, and, and so much more. I mean, what I suffer is tiny, tiny compared to what he suffered. But he is letting me share a little bit of what it, what it means to suffer like he suffered. Oh, I almost don't want to say that. It's almost gross, you know. But it's just these tiniest bits. And I know you all experience the same thing. All of you have felt those things. But what I, what I didn't see as much is that it's his friendship. That's being expressed in that suffering. It's his friendship. He's drawing me near to understand him that I might understand how sufficient he is and how beautiful he is and how able he is to sustain us in suffering. And show his real power that's bigger than all that suffering. That's able to take that scaredness and go anyway. Not just to model it for me, but yes, to model it for me. To call me, to call you to that same, I'm scared, but I'm going to go anyway. To call us to that same life of suffering. Where we, we were called to, at times, count all things a loss for him. Yes, that's exactly where he's called us. To take up a cross. A cross is an instrument, not just of giving up my choice, but of actually experiencing pain. <laughs> he's called us all to take it up and follow him. For his sake. Coming after him. 
So yes, he does have that model for us to follow. But it's not just about him simply modeling it for us. He mediates the power to survive it. He mediates. He gives to us the power to survive it, to push through it without falling away from him, without falling away from love and the call to love one another and not be trapped finally and fully in bitterness and anger or any of that stuff. He provided that power. He's that hope for you and for me to make it through all the suffering that he's called us to follow him in. And he's the only one who does that. He can use people. He can use your brothers and sisters who go through the same thing. But he's the one mediator. There's no other between God and man to mediate forgiveness to us, to give repentance to us. To give power to us. He's the only one. He's the one who's exalted above the heavens. The perfect God man. You can have other people pray for you. But you have no one ever represent you. Before the throne in heaven before God. But Christ Jesus. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. Mike Sharp, I love you, but I don't want you standing in my place before God's throne. I think you got your own sins to pay for. (laughs) But Jesus is your representative and my representative before God. And he stands before God in your place, representing you before the Father. And he stands as one undefiled, perfect, righteous, Holy, standing there as your righteousness forever before God. And so that throne is always open to you 24-7. Grace and mercy is always ready for you 24-7. And when you go in, remember, when you go in for that grace and mercy you need, for the problem that you're facing, remember who it is that represents you. Remember that despite how big the problem is and how impossible it seems to be faithful to God or get through this season or whatever it is, he is infinitely greater. He is infinitely greater. And go with boldness for what you need to hang on and follow him. And man, I am preaching to myself. (laughs) Okay? This last week I saw how easy it is for me to be shaken from cloud nine and go down to cloud point two. (laughs) So, oh man, it's 1144. I managed to preach a really long sermon anyway. (laughs) Well, I hope you guys got something out of this morning. I certainly, I certainly did. Thank you God for, for John's word and for David and Kim and Jake's communion and, and just being together. Um, I guess I'll just pray and you guys can go get your kiddos and, um, and we'll see you next week. Let's pray together. Lord, I just ask you, God, to bless your truth to the hearts of your people. And in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray you'd help us to keep believing in you, keep coming to you, keep holding on to you, keep remembering who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.